Welcome to Sinner Saint Sister. I'm Allison Sullivan, and this is a podcast about sometimes saving the world and sometimes just surviving in it. In the next hour or so, we will nurture our friendships, explore our joy, shake our fists, all while trying to serve our God, and most likely, all while wearing pajamas. I hope you hear something that lets you know you are loved and helps you love one another. Welcome to Center Saint Sister. This is a story I wasn't around for, but it is still one of my very favorites. When my mom and my dad were first married and still trying to be polite about sides of the bed and percentages of the covers, my mom didn't want my dad to see her in her big hair curlers that she usually slept in. And she especially didn't want him to see that she held them in place for the night with a pair of underwear. So they lie there in bed, and when she thought that dad had fallen asleep, she crept out of bed, went to his underwear drawer, and ever so quietly put a pair of his underwear over her curlers, and slipped back into bed. Him, none the wiser. Or so she thought. Moments later, Dad popped out of bed, rushed to her underwear drawer, put a pair of her panties on his head, and said, I don't know what we're doing, but I'm in. My parents weren't necessarily perfect people, but they were certainly delightful. I think what my parents do best is laugh. At each other, at themselves. We were a laughing family. And I think it's a huge accomplishment to be reflecting on the home that my parents made and to be able to say that what stands out the most to me was the laughter in it. Deep, hearty, belly-shaking, snot-producing, clean, compassionate laughter. To sum up my life with these two guiding me, that was what we did best as a family. We laughed. Lord, please help me to do what it takes for the laughter in my home to be what defines it to my kids. Now, don't get me wrong, there was some yelling in my house growing up, too. For certain. I mean, my parents were passionate people. So yes, there was definitely yelling. Dad would have some words for Mom, and then she would have some paragraphs for him. But I read a quote once that said that the concept of two people living together for any sort of amount of time without fireworks, well, it suggests a lack of spirit. A lack of spirit to be commended in sheep or goldfish or something, but not lovers. Not lovers like those two. Unfortunately for me, their passion, it went the other way too, if you know what I mean. Because hear me, no one, I repeat, no one has walked in on their parents more than I have. Inside, outside, standing up, ugh, I don't want to talk about it. I keep waiting for it to be cute. It's not. Going to college was a good time for me to stand back and kind of see things at a distance. It was via my roommates that I had exposure to other people's families, and I could therefore kind of gauge mine. I learned a lot in college. It was there that I learned that not everyone's family had a copy of The Joy of Sex as their coffee table book. I had the kind of mom who told you the truth when you asked her things. And it had potential to go like this. Mom, is Santa real? Oh, no, honey. He died a long time ago. And now it's just fun to remember him. So... Santa is dead? Yes, honey. And the tooth fairy? Eh, probably the same kind of deal. I don't really know the history, but yeah, she's fake too. Easter bunny? You guessed it. Leprechauns? Please. The imaginary events, the folklore we pass down and celebrate around. 
yeah, our family still did all that because my mom's wildly creative and puts together one heck of an Easter basket. And my dad loves a good story and has a very convincing ho, ho, ho. But we did it knowing that the magic of it all didn't hang on the factuality of it all. My mom made a decision that I could handle the duality of make-believe and hearing the truth. And I could. Letters to Santa? We still wrote them. And I still looked under my pillow for each and every tooth. I was never disappointed once. Considering my mom's ruthless truth-telling, it should come as no surprise that I was the elementary school student running around on the playground telling everyone how babies were made. I remember being young and sitting on the edge of her bed, lazily experimenting with tying my shoe, hoping to accidentally get it right. She was standing at her bathroom sink when it occurred to me to ask her about babies. Babies. I smiled at the pink, pudgy image that came to my mind. Which is why it was so jarring when my mom started talking about her vagina and my dad's penis. Your dad puts his penis into my vagina and sperm comes out and it makes a baby, she said, as matter-of-factly as if I had asked her how to make a cake, not a baby. What? I yelled. Your dad puts his penis... No, no, don't say it again. I heard you. But y'all do that on purpose? Yeah, it's fun. And as family lore goes, I groaned, rolled my eyes, walked away, and said, Sorry I asked. As much as my dad contributed to and celebrated the way our family was quirky, I've often likened my parents to the Fockers when trying to sum them up. This kind of honesty, this kind of sexual honesty, appalled him. So naturally, my mom respected his boundaries by helping me choose a Father's Day card that year that said, Hey Dad, thanks for fertilizing Mom's egg. I've made a lot of the same decisions my mom and dad did as I raised my own family to be the healthiest versions of themselves emotionally, spiritually, and yes, even sexually. I was given affection freely growing up. I was nurtured by men and women. There was a lot of gender equality in our home. And when it came to conversations most parents would rather avoid, I was spoken to factually and frequently, and humor was often incorporated. This summer, it seemed important to start a specific discussion with my oldest. He was spending more time away from home at friends' houses, and their access to technology was making me nervous. I mean, what if they got curious and Googled boobs or blowjob? How could, how could he ever know what sex was if he learned by seeing what it wasn't? I was horrified by the thought that his eyes might inadvertently see something that was demeaning to women and think that that was normal. This topic, it all of a sudden felt urgent. He and I had some alone time in the car, and at just the right moment, the Lord put Bruno Mars on the radio talking about sex by the fire at night. I saw my nine-year-old's eyes widen with recognition, and I had my chance. What do you know about that? I asked. Nothing. He shook his head vehemently. After a little prodding, I could tell he really didn't know anything. I said, well, you know enough about that word to sit up a little straighter when you hear it, so tell me. What do you think you know? What do you think it is? Is it kissing? He said with a wince. Okay, I chuckled. Well, it's kind of what comes after kissing. Is that all you know? I asked. Well, I guess I know it's bad, he said. No, I said. Sex is wonderful. Sex is lovely. Sex is beautiful. God made sex but I can see how 
You might think it's bad, though, because adults are a little funny around this topic, aren't we? But you know why? It's because it's important. And I think we feel afraid that you're going to mess it up some of the same ways we did or that you're going to misuse it. And we think that maybe if we just don't talk about it, then all all the hard stuff will somehow magically go away. I think we also really underestimate your ability to handle complex subjects. So can we talk about it right now? I asked. Will you ask me any question that you might have? He reluctantly agreed. When I got to the physical information of a penis entering a vagina, he slapped his hands to his face, covered his eyes, and yelled, Why? (laughs) And somehow, through my explanations, he gathered that one sexual act produced a whole family of babies. Maybe it was because I was talking about the number of sperm cells or something, but somehow he thought that it was only one sex act that determined how large your family was. But the longer he listened, he started to put together that each sex act produced a baby. His face before was inquisitive and timid and somewhat repulsed, but it started to straighten into very sincere and very stoic gratitude. He turned toward me, and he looked at me for the first time since our conversation began, and he said as sincerely as he knew how, Mom, you did that four times? You did that with Dad four times? Just for us? Mom, really, thank you. The reality, moms, is that we want our kids to have good sex lives, right? But talking abstractly about the birds and the bees or putting off the difficult conversation altogether, isn't it really just making peace with the world teaching them instead? Because in our hyper-sexualized culture, the world will just teach them instead. And our kids need brave and intentional parents to go treacherous places with them. Our kids need parents who trust them to understand the duality of sex being both beautiful and good, but also weighty and potentially dangerous. Our kids need parents willing to go in depth so that they can understand that sex has a much deeper meaning than just the mere physical act. And because of that, it is meant for only one special person. How could kids ever understand how intricate sex is if we're only willing to have one conversation about it? In relaying this message well, it involves affirmation, it involves information, it involves values, it involves clarity, and it involves a whole lot of guidance. And squeamish parents... I think we're just incapable of delivering all that. So, we have to be brave. It might not be perfect. It's probably not going to be easy, but it will certainly be worth it. Come on, moms. We can do this. From the book of 1 Peter. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. This is my friend Amy. We've been friends for three years. She speaks with sincerity, is smart in ways both hidden and profound, and she has just the right amount of reverence, snark, and wit. On so many occasions, she has helped me see God's varied grace. Amy Garcia. Hey, Allison. (laughs) This morning finds us a little funny. (laughs) <laughs> I feel like you. we are here in my laundry room. You just tried to like capture a roach. I'm not certain you weren't going to name it 
Like you're totally. Oh no, no, I was getting rid of it. You were totally at ease. Oh well, until it moved, and then it was terrifying. (laughs) I like have my hands over my eyes, like let's pretend it doesn't exist. But you're just sitting here pretending like not to notice my laundry. Oh, it feels like my house. Oh, good. Someone lives here too. Well, this is why I love you because you're not saying, "Oh, what laundry?" You're like, "No, I see it." Like me. I, mean, <laughs> I did move a sock out of my way. <laughs> I didn't care. This is why I love you, though. This is why I love you, like, as a friend, as a writer, as everything. Because not only, like, in our conversations or even in your work, do you say things that I'm already thinking? Because it's like, <laughs> I've been trying to say that. Thank you for putting nice words to this. But also you say things, and I think this is the real um, duty of a good writer, you say things I haven't thought of. You know, and it's like, Thanks. well, that's new and revolutionary. So you are just um, a creative pillar in my life and sounding board. And you're going to forever, I think, um, be someone that I'm like, did I do it right? Did I do it right? <laughs> How did I do? <laughs> I, I am here to judge and let you know if we've met, if we've met the mark. <laughs> but you're clearly not. You're just like, you know, totally at ease with my laundry and my roaches. I feel like that's pretty much how my life is too. So I, it would be a little hypocritical if I was like, Allison, you have laundry? What? <laughs> I know, but other people's laundry is so cute. No, mine's all like 12-year-old boy underwear. Like, it's not cute. It's, <laughs> just, cute it's just in between. Of like, it's not grown up. It's not little baby. It's just awkward. Um, how are so, you? I'm good. I'm excited to talk with you today. I love getting to come in and chat with you. It's one of my favorite things in life. Our latest escapade, we were at a um, we were at a women's conference together that we both really hated. Yeah, it it was challenging to uh, really enjoy women in Christ because it felt painful to be there. It really did, and yeah. that's probably. <clears throat> That's probably an, a whole episode of why are women's ministry events really hard? Like, I right. think that there's probably a lot yes. to that. But there's no simple answer there. Yeah, I think it's in part, in a short version, uh, that we have so much hope when we go to them. Like, okay, this is going to be the thing for me. It's yes. like meeting someone where you think, this is going to be my new best friend. And mm-hmm. then you find out, like, oh, it's not really that. <laughs> You're not that great. <laughs> Never You mind. make a good first impression. <laughs> this is real sustainable here <laughs> and I think that's okay I think it's just you every time kind of have to have this talk with yourself about like this isn't the entirety of the church this isn't the entirety of Christian women we don't all have to feel this way we can all love Jesus and we can all do our own separate things right it's okay but there's a recalibration there happening yes yes yeah. because there is a time where you think is this what it means to be a Christian woman? Because if it is, like, I don't want to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't belong here. I mean, the whole time, the message was, how do you have, how do you straighten up your house and deal with your insecurities? And I thought, I don't think I'm supposed to admit that I don't really care that much about straightening up my house, right. as I have attested to the laundry that's in my house. Yeah. And the other thing you're not supposed to admit is that you don't really have that many insecurities. Because, like, that's how ladies make friends is, like, oh, my gosh, I'm so insecure, aren't you? And I'm like, actually, not really. Yeah. I like me. I uh, like you. I think uh, you're awesome. I think I'm pretty great, too. And I know we're not supposed to say that, but, like... I have chills all over because right? you said it. I know. <laughs> I love like, it. Like, Jesus loves us and thinks that we're awesome. Mm-hmm. I don't see why we should be in a big fuss to find out that we're not. Like, yeah. I mean, that's not saying anybody's perfect. Perfect is of course. 
unpleasant and boring and yeah. not well satan would love to tip our balances one right. way or the other yes. and so our job yeah. is, is about balance but we now okay so even though the conference was a bust you yeah. and i had a great time oh my gosh, so in the hotel time. room yeah. <laughs> i mean it was really about us in our hotel room and yes. jetting so out early and going to the wine bar <laughs> <laughs> yes I'm, I'm definitely an early ditcher yeah. like that's that's one of my happy places is to leave stuff early. So the most memorable moment for me is when I came out of the shared bathroom in the hotel room and I thought you were pooping in the hotel sink. Oh God. <laughs> I mean, and oh I was my so gosh. relieved to find out that you were just peeing in I the sink. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> you know how, well, first of all, when you're young, it's like you just pile in like puppies and we can all sleep anywhere right. at any sure. time. Yeah. And Give me then a corner and a floor and I'm fine. We get so particular right. in our old age. It's yes. like I have to have the right pillow. We oh, need I brought the, my heating pad. <laughs> we need the machines. Yes. We just And the sound machine. <laughs> we need things. <laughs> yes. So it was like I was afraid. I did not sleep well that yep. night. Because of the traveling, I was constipated. You had yes. happened to have a laxative, so I'm like, can I have that? Yes. I take that the night before. I'm flip-flopping all night long. I'm afraid I've kept you up all night. And so the last thing I'm going to do is wake up and like thunder pee in the toilet that's right next to you sleeping finally was what I'm thinking. So I'm going to slip off into our little kitchenette (laughs) and I'm going to hang my hiney over the sink and I'm going to pee and it's all going to be fine and no one's ever going to know anything. Mm -hmm. You... Yep. Because your brain works so quickly, remember immediately that I have taken a laxative. <laughs> you think I'm having an emergency. I thought it was a crisis moment. I couldn't figure out why else someone was, pe- like, pants down up on the kitchen sink. And then it made me think, how many other people have done this in the hotel sink? Like, I'm just here to say, for people everywhere, you should know, don't use the sink in your hotel. Like, no matter oh what, gosh. if it's a food sink or not, so bad sorry. things have happened in that sink. <laughs> But I honestly, my first thought was, I wonder how we're going to get that down the drain. Like, <laughs> just oh very pragmatically, gosh. like, well, that'll be interesting. Like, oh my gosh, I'm sweating. Okay, but and then, so I think that this is all going to happen very privately. And then, sure enough, like the second I start going, there you are. And my, I all I can get out is I can explain. <laughs> I can explain. I mean, just this look of panic, like. I'm stuck now. It's happening. <laughs> okay. So from one awkward thing to another. Sure. You, my dear friend, have written a book about how to talk to kids about sex. And <laughs> I am telling you this conversation, I have told my friends that this con- this episode is coming and everyone is like, oh my gosh, it can't happen fast enough. Because I would say that a good 90% of my friends are holding off this conversation yeah as late as possible, as late as they can possibly have it. And I feel like we have this vice of ease. It's like we're constantly looking for the path of least resistance. Yes. And we see this conversation as hard. And so we're just not going to go down that until we absolutely have to. And we end up missing the mark altogether. Yes. Because I think it's a conversation that you need to be having in like little bits and pieces for a very long time. It isn't, so I I keep on hearing about people who go and have a weekend with someone and I think it sounds really fun and cool and I love a weekend away. Like I'm all about a weekend away because that sounds like I don't have to deal with my laundry. Uh, But I think that it's problematic to hold off on that. I think that 
it gives us this idea like, well, when I just have this weekend, then we're going to have this conversation. We're going to get it all out. And I think, I think that's hard on kids. Yeah. I think that's really kind of, there's no place to escape. It's kind of very confrontational. Right. Like, I think they need time to process. Yeah. And I think they need to have these conversations like super normalized. Yeah. Like so that when they have their own questions, they can come back to you. They're not waiting for their own like weekend away. Like, okay, do we have real privacy now? Okay, now I can ask you like, yeah. it just needs to be like, what are you talking about at breakfast? That's like, a good point. So, okay, we're not on vacation, so I can't ask this question. I know, like, well, I guess I got to wait six months until it's summer and we're out of here. Like, yeah. hope I don't get pregnant in the meantime. Like, <laughs> I love you. Like, no, you got to ask now. Like, yeah. it just has to be something where you model, like, this is an ongoing conversation. Right. And just take out all of that I'm waiting for perfect words I'm waiting for the perfect opportunity mm-hmm. like you're not proposing it is not a one-time opportunity it is that's so good ongoing life yeah so the idea of the talk is a total misnomer right I mean I think so in my family it is <laughs> it is mom's talking about more awkward stuff again and they love it I mean we mm-hmm. laugh about it right. I mean honestly it's kind of like all the opportunities to make all those poop and fart jokes that like your kids want to make yeah I mean we kind of include I mean not in a like disrespectful way but like we kind of incorporate like some questions about babies and sex and all of those things in that same thing like it is funny it is weird yeah and let's embrace that yeah it's just part of your body too though so can I ask what was it like when you were young and developing how did you come into all of this and then we'll talk about more about your book but I want to know what your early experiences were so and how they're shaping your present experiences <laughs> well as you might imagine <clears throat> i would be a pendulum swing so the fact that i'm going to talk to my kids about it all the time means nobody talked to me about it like hardly at all ever um my family was super strict my dad was i mean if there had been an open spot with the puritans he would have signed up <laughs> i mean he was extremely um, strict i mean i had all sorts of like rules kind of what I now understand is kind of regulating like teenage girl sexuality. Like it just scared him to death. He, he never, um, he wouldn't compliment me or tell me that I was beautiful. He would mm-hmm. tell me I was beautiful, but mm-hmm. he wouldn't, the only thing he ever complimented on me, and I kid you not, was my forehead. It he is told, nice. It is a lovely forehead. It's really pretty striking. Um, <clears throat> he, but I think it's because he figured out like that was like the least sexual thing that he could wow. say like, my daughter's beautiful. I love her. But it's not any of that confusing sex stuff. So okay. foreheads, let's go with foreheads. Wow. Right? And I mean, like, I couldn't wear button fly jeans because he thought that that drew your attention, you know, down there. Oh, it was a suggestion. Yeah. Like, I wore button fly jeans. Clearly, I'm open for business. Like, wow. Yeah. I mean, I was a super nerdy, like, smart 15-year-old. Like, that. nobody got that mistaken message. Like, <laughs> no, nobody was getting that signal. Like, I promise. It wasn't happening. Buttons or zipper. But, you know, I mean... <laughs> But he was going to make sure it didn't. Uh-huh. So um, when I when I asked about dating, they told me, well, you know, when that's a problem, we'll deal with it, which I thought was so insulting. Like, mm. somebody might want to date me. Yeah. I'm dateable. Like, yes. come on. And then when I did get a boyfriend, the I don't even know how they knew this, but the first night that I got my first kiss, the next day my mom went and bought me a purity ring. Oh. Wow. And that was that. Like They well, could just tell by how you were... I don't know. Like, Maybe I did like, you come in with a pep in your stop? Or? Apparently, I floated in. There were like little birds <laughs> twittering around my head. Like, I got pissed last night. We always had a suspicion that my parents had a, an elaborate spy system set uh-huh. up. Mm-hmm. And so they knew everything that was happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
it still seems possible. <laughs> I mean, they both passed away at this point, so I can't confirm that. But, I mean, we used to joke, like, I bet that duck over there is actually a spy drone. Like, I mean, it's not out of it's not out of the realm of possibility there are are nanny cams i mean mean, it seems super possible and if anyone's parents were going to have them mine were okay they might just (laughs) be accelerated eavesdroppers too maybe for sure my mom definitely was but it was but but that slippery slope had already started happening and so now we need to yeah and like and the most important thing about you is that you're a virgin like if you're not a virgin then yeah i mean so our parents came at the mine didn't by the way um I, I was raised very, very differently, but, um, and my parents did a, did a great job. Awesome. Um, we, I know I'm, I do. I feel, I feel like, like lucky you. That's and, awesome. Yeah, That's it awesome. really is. Um, but I feel like our parents as a generation kind of came at us with a great deal of fear yes. and I'm sure that there's a pendulum there too. You know, right. they were probably experiencing some really, you know, crazy things in their young adulthood and so they came at this with a lot of fear. And because they're either coming at us with fear and or silence, mm-hmm. we implicitly get the message that sex is bad. Oh, yeah. Sex sure. is bad. And so I feel like what you're doing with your work is you are changing that narrative in your home and with your kids that, no, sex is good. Yeah. And we're going to learn about this the right way. I did yes. talk to um, my nine-year-old son this summer um, not for the first time. We're a very open family. Um, I can imagine. <laughs> I mean, St. Peter's always are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. Um, so we're a very open family. So things had definitely come up, but he did not um, understand the, the physicality yes. you know, involved. Yeah. And so that came up for the first time. Um, but the biggest thing that I wanted to get across to him is that you are going to want to do this, and that's not weird. Right, like super normal. Super normal. Everybody else. And sex is great. He heard a Bruno Mars song. Yeah. (laughs) And it was like sex by the fire at night, and Mm -hmm. he he got, his eyes got real big, and he was like, oh. And I said, and so that just started the conversation of what do you know? And he was like, I just, (laughs) yeah, thank you, Bruno. And and he was like, I just know that that's bad. And I was like, no, it's not bad at all. It's awesome. I mean, in context. Yeah. Yeah. And so I can't remember exactly his exact words, but I ended up saying that could be his wife. And that's a beautiful thing thing. to make love by a fire, you know? So, so he's like, ah, and I'm like, I know that's awkward, but we can talk about it and laugh about it too. So let's talk about your book. How are you wanting to, to change the narrative? Well, so I think when I first started writing it, I really wrote it very specifically to my son who I wanted to talk with him about sex. So Joel and I had started talking about um, a friend's house that he wanted to spend the night at. And I was trying to explain why I was not okay with that. And I realized the problem was that there was a dad I was uncomfortable with. And you think, uh, okay, so I really do need to trust my gut on those things. Like if you have a question about, you know, anything where a kid's spending the night, you should absolutely like heed that, right? Right. But I also didn't want to like misinform my son as to why he couldn't spend the night there. Like it has nothing to do with the kid. The kid's great and it's fine to go over there and play, but it's just so vulnerable when you're asleep and at somebody's house where you can't get out. Like 
I just can't do that. I can't do it. That's just one of those parenting no-nos. If you know that there's a possibility of risk for a child mm -hmm. to be sexually abused, you just can't do it. Like, right. I mean, parenting 101, right? But I wanted to be clear with him as to what it was that I was, yeah, like why I was keeping him from something he really wanted to do. Yeah. And I thought... He needed an answer. He did. And I have always believed that if your kids are old enough to ask you the question, they're old enough for an honest answer. And right. so, I mean, I, to the point where I've made my kids cry about answers to Santa Claus because they ask the question and I'm not going to lie to them. I just won't because I want them to know. But I, thought, I can't tell him about like sex starting from the point of, you know, sometimes grown-ups do terrible things to children. Like, no, 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 you can't start there. You have to start with what's good and what's wholesome and healthy and normal. And then you can talk about, and sometimes people get that wrong and sometimes they get it terribly wrong. And like, but that's a much later conversation. The first conversation has to be what's good and healthy and normal in sex. And so that's where I started writing from. <clears throat> and then I wanted him to be able to either read it on his own. Like I, I thought I need to write this mm -hmm. because when I write something, I'm going to get it more organized. I'm going to say it the way I want to say it. Right. Because while I don't believe in like the weekend away, I do think it does take some thinking through. You don't want to just blurt out like, sex is great. Your dad and I do it all the time. <clears throat> right. Like, no, your kid's going to die inside and be like, I don't ever want to have this conversation again. Like, right. You have to like think through how do I present this yeah. to a kid, right? Now, were you finding other materials lacking? Had you looked into other things and you were like, I think I can do better? Or you just knew, I want to do this my own way in my own language that works for our family? You know, I think I looked at stuff a long time ago that it felt like in the Christian world, it feels like you kind of get either just this abstinence only. All we do is talk about how sex is great, but we're saving it for marriage and we don't give you any other information. We don't give you any kind of protection. And we all pretend that teenagers aren't having sex and aren't being more promiscuous than they are. And in the meantime, we leave a whole group of people very, very vulnerable to you know, STDs and to pregnancy. So I, I think there's or that. Or that one day magically you're going to say, I do, and all of this complicated, weird, yes. avoided sex stuff is going to make perfect sense. Right? And you're just going to jump right into like happy, a successful sex. A like, healthy sex. Yeah. There we go. Look at that. It's all working. I mean... So I wanted to do a balance of here are lots of facts about how your body's working. And I didn't just want to talk to him about like married sex because, I mean, you know, you're a, you know, eight, nine, ten year old boy. Marriage does not sound enticing. Like that's not something right. he's like, married? Who wants to be that? Yeah. But he does want to understand what's going on with his body. Sure. Like, why is this happening to me? What's coming next? Yeah. I mean, but I also wanted him to have it from like a... I mean, I think of it now in terms of like human dignity, but I think of it in terms of like a God context yeah. that God loves us. He created our bodies yeah. and they are beautiful, wonderful bodies that are supposed to do really cool things, fascinating, miraculous things. Yeah. And I wanted him to understand that kind of like the miracle of the human body in like the nerdiest way that I was going to put it instead of like, it isn't just facts and figures about like, here's what an erection is like here's how it's really cool that we get bodies that do all these things. And I think that in a lot of the facts and figures too, um, the awesomeness of what like women's bodies do really gets missed. And mm. I think that that's something that really needs to be emphasized. 
I, I think a lot of times women get told like, ew, your body's gross. It does all these weird things. And I think, listen, my body can grow a baby. <laughs> my body can feed a baby. Like it isn't just male bodies that are like, cool, look how you can do that. But like, no, like there should be real reverence for what women's yeah. bodies do. And this has come up before <clears throat> in the podcast, but even, um, you know, a, a, like an orgasm for a man feels mm-hmm. so instinctual. You know, it's like it's right. so easy. Like and, and, yeah. <laughs> and and then for a woman, it requires, you know, some knowledge. Do you remember there was a really funny text exchange between you and I? I had read over a, a draft and you were kind of asking my opinion. And I said, I think that it could use, you know, a little more emphasis on women orgasm. And I was in the middle of an appointment where like my eyes were shut. Oh, I was getting my eyelashes done for an event. Like, okay. So the lady is like, my phone keeps going (laughs) off, but I had had a babysitter with like maybe a sick kid or something. So I'm like, I'm sorry, but I need to know what that text is. So she gets my phone and and she reads the text between us about women's orgasms. And I'm like, yeah, totally normal. And it felt too long to explain. And she wasn't that nice anyways. Anyway, you're like, (sighs) Isn't this what you text with your friends about? Yeah. No? Just me? Cool. <laughs> yeah, but no, that is um, such a, a glossed over aspect of yeah. sexuality is, is women's part in it. There's this idea that male sexuality is what's normal. Yeah. And so when women don't have the same like function in their bodies, then we're like, well, there's something wrong with me. It's not working the way it's supposed to. I'm like, right. no, you have just two different systems. Yeah. And that's fine and good and if we value things like women get to do cool things like have multiple orgasms <laughs> like that should be something that i mean if if the narrative were flipped all the men would be like geez man what's wrong with me why can't i have multiple right. orgasms yeah, not part. like why do i come in 30 seconds right right <laughs> okay so one of my favorite things about the book amy aside from um, how candid you are, how frank you are, how thorough you are, is your approach. I mean, I, I'm, I don't think I'm wrong, but I might be, but I'm pretty sure the first word of your book is boner. Uh, I think it's penis, boner, vagina, hoo-ha. It's just the first four words. Because <laughs> I want them to know, like, we're really talking about this. We're not talking about it in a metaphorical sense. Mm-hmm. We're not going to talk about it in, like, sunshine and roses, like, we're going to talk about it in like real penises, real vaginas, like body parts and how they actually function. Like diagrams that show you like, here's where like a clitoris is like, and this is why it matters. And not that you need to have all that information at one time, but I think that just basic science information is empowering. Mm -hmm. It is not the thing that's going to like, if your kid reads a medical diagram of where a clitoris is, that's not like, and you know what? Nine months later, I was a grandma. Like, that's not how that works. Information does not impregnate your child. Okay, so your approach, what about age-appropriate information? Mm-hmm. So, you know, For sure. from when they're younger and then kind of gradually increasing the level of detail. Yes. So, I mean, we had this conversation the other day at breakfast, my then six-year-old asked something about like where babies came from and of course then I have this 11-year-old that's had a lot of very frank discussions and read this book and like knows a lot more than she does and where he, he kind of was like oh like <laughs> I think actually one of the biggest challenges is the fact that 
when you have older kids, they love to educate your younger kids sure. on everything. Yeah. I mean, they're going to tell them math facts, and they're going to tell them how much more they know at grammar, and they also want to tell them how much more they know about sex, which you have to really have that conversation with your kids like, hey, this is not appropriate for a six-year-old. So I, I gave her kind of a rough sketch of what, like where babies come from and how great it is that babies exist and right. how that takes, you know, two people and like, right. you know, just... And mommy has tiny cells and daddy has tiny yes. cells and those tiny cells join. And yes. that's like plenty, yes. right? In, the, yes. in those younger... Younger yeah. stages yes. of, of understanding. I mean, gone is the stork, right? Like, nobody's talking about yes. a stork anymore. <laughs> yeah, so I feel like the younger ages, what you want to do is avoid misinformation. Mm-hmm. Like, no mm-hmm. lies, no bad information. Yeah, that's good. That's just good. really simple information that, because otherwise it's just confusing to them. I right. mean, I don't know. I've had lots of things where I've explained something to my kids and I've been like, man, I just explained the heck out of that. And then, like, two days later, they talk to me about something and I'm like, nope. That's totally not what I said. Uh-huh. So I think simple is really important, yeah. but honest. I mean, I would say, do you agree or disagree? This is a, a real question, but in our house, I have felt like there's something about age eight to nine mm-hmm. where I have felt like my kids in particular can handle yes. any ex- explanation about anything yeah. with the right yes. amount of communication. We can really kind of tackle just about anything. Yes, I feel like eight was really the age where I felt like, okay, you're ready for this conversation and you need to have this conversation now. Mm -hmm. Because the other thing is, like, age is eight. I mean, so first of all, there's what people see on TV. Even if you are scrutinizing what you're watching on TV, I mean, God forbid you watch something with a commercial and all of a sudden, I mean, they have extremely sexual stuff right. on there where you think, oh, that's happening in my living room. Right. So cool. if you think that your kids aren't picking up sexuality right. and you think, oh, eight or nine's way too young, I would say if they're just living in the world, yes. I mean, I mean that's they, not true. I don't care what school they go to. Yeah. I don't care what information, you know, they're watching on TV or not, um, you know, YouTube, whatever. We are in a very sexualized culture and they're picking up something. So I've found those situations like that, whether it's, you know, even just watching, um, the Thanksgiving day parade this year, you know, there's two men kissing. So it's like, okay, like, okay, we're going to have sometimes. Yeah, here we go. You know, and there's nothing that we, that's really off limits for us. It's like Mm -hmm. sometimes boys fall in love with boys and sometimes girls fall in love with girls. So one thing that I try to be very, very consistent on is talking about, that it's about respecting others and treating them with dignity and kindness. I want you to know that you deserve to be respected no matter who it is that you're in love with or and that you deserve respect no matter who it is that's interested in you. And you still want all the facts of sex to be correct. Right. That each person has value and worth right. no matter who it is that they're in love with. Yeah. Um, Pornography, I kind of deal with in the same way. Uh, I, so one of the things I think that's really problematic with porn is that um, it involves consent. Um, you don't really know the people involved, so you don't really know that you actually have consent. And I know that that's probably a weird way to come at it, but you need to know the people that you are involved with sexually. And pornography does not allow you to have that. You can't. Yeah. Interesting. And I, I think that we a lot of times want to pretend that like pornography is not being involved with someone sexually, but it really is. It's just from a distance. I mean, and mm. so because you can't know them personally and know 
who it is that you are kind of participating with sexually, that's to me why it's, I mean, it, there's a lot of other problems yeah, with pornography. Yeah. I think I'm terrified of porn. That's why I started the conversation <clears throat> with my oldest is because mm-hmm. I thought he's at friends' houses more yes. these days. Like I don't, I can't guarantee that he and yeah. a buddy aren't going to, get on his mom's phone and hit Safari and get curious right. and Google boobs. And then the next thing are. you know, we're off to the races, you know? And mm-hmm. so, um, I, I, you can't learn about it the right way if you're seeing it wrong. Yes. You know, I, I need to teach yeah. you what's right before you can decipher what's wrong because the yes. truth is our kids are going to come into contact with porn. eventually that's going to happen there's a terrifying statistic it's something like by fourth grade some huge percentage of kids totally terrifying i mean it's awful but i had an an older friend who's raising older kids tell me that of course my goal is to try to get them to never experience it of course Mm -hmm. that of course um but in the case that they do it's teaching them to roll and scroll like, mm. that's not, that's not, that's not, that's not. Yeah. But you can't say that's not until you know what is. Right. So, anyways, I really wanted Silas to have a very healthy definition of what it was before he could say that's not it. Well, I, I think when you give them a really robust understanding of you, when you have sex, you have sex with a very real person who has all sorts of, like, human baggage that they come with for good and for bad like that they come with their own personal histories their own motivations their own you know sense of humor like that when you have sex what you want to have sex with is a really like full understanding of who that person is Mm -hmm. like that's the best sex like that's really the the goal like that's how you actually enjoy sex together like i think when you see a real person um in front of you then you realize like how how problematic pornography is because it's not a real person that's just you've diminished someone's personhood and that diminishment is a disaster in sex and to our god who created it to be so so unitive so unitive yeah so let's let's get into before we close let's get into consent so this is a big one. And, yes. and by the way, I don't think can start too soon. I mean, we're talking yes. to our little kids yes. about, she said no, and she should only have to say right. it one time. Yes. Respect her space. When you know, someone says no, things. they mean no, and yeah. no is... Well, what about, okay, can we start there? No means no. Can we just get rid of that altogether and say, instead of no means no, how about yes means yes? Yeah. Can we flip that? Right. Like... That it shouldn't even be a question of like, hey, can I go poke you when you're like not awake? No. No. Like, hell no. Yeah. Like, why would you even think that that's okay? Yeah. I shouldn't have to tell you no. I should only be telling you yes. Right. Right. I I feel like in the Christian community, like girls get tasked with playing defense. Like, Mm. I think, I mean, I think the real lie that we get told is that girls don't want sex. And so girls get stuck in this position of having to be the ones who were constantly saying no. Like these boys get to just push and push and push and push. And in the meantime, this girl's sitting around like, wait a minute, I'm not supposed to like sex? Like, right. I like this too. Yeah. And I'm not even allowed to admit that. Yeah. And so I have to be like, no, no, I don't want to. But like, what a terrible setup for that yeah. girl. Like, well, Every woman listening to this is nodding their head and like, serious affirmation that that has been their experience right I mean yes it is totally on me to put the brakes on this when really what should be happening is if I'm not giving you a yes 
If I'm giving you any unclear sign, right. like, so you're asking the question, are you still okay with this? Are you still okay with this? Right. If it is anything other than yes. Well, then let's stop. Yeah. We're all walking around so wounded because of this topic that we don't want to talk about, that there's so much fear and shame surrounding. And so what I feel like you are doing in our generation of mothering is you are absolutely flipping that so that we are not afraid but confident and we're not ashamed but comfortable. This is a, a normal part of the way God made us. It was designed by him to be um, not only a unitive thing in our marriage, but very, very fun. Right. You know, like, this is pleasurable. Should be like one of the highlights of your life kind of things. Yeah. Like, yeah. That and seeing the Grand Canyon. Yeah. Like, but instead, we're coming into our marriages. We're, you know, surviving adolescence with so many battle scars. Yeah. And it's so much easier to be wounded nowadays, I think. Like, we need oh, this yeah. more than ever. Yes. So your work is important. Amy, I, I love the way that um, that you think and you're a change maker. Um, is there anything else before we sign off? So just one last thing I want to say. So I think that consent and pleasure really need to go hand in hand. Yeah. That when we're consenting, it isn't just a, I get, okay, I guess, I mean, I don't mind. Like, consent, what you want in consent is like a heck yes. An enthusiastic yes. An enthusiastic yes. Like, yes, partner, I'm in this with yeah. you. Not, uh, I mean, if you want to. Like, if you have a partner who's saying, mm, uh, mm. like, bail out. Yeah. Like, your orgasm is not that important. Yeah. Like, you need to just put the brakes on and check in, like, hey, what's mm -hmm. going on? And not in a pressured sort of way, like, why aren't you putting out what's going on here? Yeah. But like, we need to want good sex for ourselves and for our partners. Right. Like that's the deal. It isn't yeah. just a one-sided, hey, I got to have this good thing. I don't care what happens to this person. You deserve so much better than that. So the bottom line is, if your partner isn't saying, heck yes, you're doing it wrong. Right, <laughs> get out of there. Yes. Awesome, well thank you, Amy. I appreciate yeah. you so much. Um, we're all on pins and needles waiting for this book to come out. I'm working on it. <laughs> See ya. Bye. And now, a word from our sponsors. At Revival Living Interiors, a full-service design and renovation team, their prayer is that your home or business is a place of inspiration, love, and legacy. They helped me spruce up my bedroom, and I could feel the love they put in. Revival starts at home. Follow them on Instagram and Facebook at Revival Living Interiors. And Beauty Counter, are you trying to make cleaner living and healthier lifestyle part of your 2019? Then get safe and high-performing products into your hands with Beauty Counter through Kristen DeVore at www.beautycounter.com forward slash Kristen DeVore. That's K-R-I-S-T-E-N-D-E-V-O-R-E. -E. My personal favorite is the Charcoal Bar. That black beauty has done more for my 40-year-old skin than anything I've tried. That's www.beautycounter.com forward forward slash Kristen DeVore. My best friend and I certainly don't have all the answers, but that's never stopped us when it comes to matters of the heart from trying to comprehend, evaluate, analyze, apply, and synthesize. Wait, is that Bloom's taxonomy? I knew we were onto something. 
This is me, my best friend Kristen, and your questions. Beefy! Beefinator! Podcasting always looks a little different, doesn't it? <laughs> Today it's in the parking lot of a Bucky's. Of a Bucky's. We, this is, isn't actually why we met. We met because I needed to see your face. It had been too long since. It, it was always kind of passing. We needed like some time, some real time. It's pretty great. Like two weeks ago, we were like, we are guarding Monday morning. Put it on the calendar in blood. We will meet each other halfway and look at each other's faces for circa two hours. <laughs> exactly. Um, okay. And let's talk about sex and our kids because that's easy and fun. <laughs> Makes me sweat. <laughs> <laughs> um, was sex normal in your house growing up, Beef? a pretty random question. I mean, like, all the people <laughs> weren't having all the sex all the time in my house. Um, that you know of. Well, actually. So, I do have distinct memories of, like, being, like, in my mom's bed, or my mom and stepdad's bed at um, night, like, watching a show or something, and then her saying it's time for bed, and me doing the, you know, typical, like, no, not yet, and her saying, Kristen, I would like to have sex with my husband right now. And me saying, see you later. Like, making a beeline for the door. So Adios. That happened. Oh, tuck that little line away. Yeah. Gosh. <laughs> I have not used that one yet. No. Um, so our question is a good one. Um, because I think a lot... I think that a lot of people... This is going to resonate with a lot of parents. Um, she says, I feel like talking with my kids about sex invites them to have it. How do I maintain the balance of talking about this realistically without giving them permission? Yeah, I get that. So I'm not worried about my nine and five-year-old having sex right now, but I have not had like a serious talk yet. Like we've kind of dabbled and talked about, you know, when you have questions about your body, come to me. Um, I don't want you to learn things from your friends. I want to be the one to share things with you and teach you about things and I'll always be honest but um I don't feel like we've like had the talk but it's not because I'm worried about them having it I guess it's just that I'm like you just want to keep them little right and like not expose them to all the things and and open the door for all the questions but as I say that and knowing full well that that's what I do and have done um, they are going to learn about it they are going to be exposed to that and I think that if we accept that as a certain truth and then work backwards from that, um, it might make it easier to force ourselves to do things that don't feel all the way comfortable. Right. I mean, and even when they encounter sex, however they encounter it, whether it's on TV or, God forbid, porn, sex in the real world between people who love each other, it doesn't look anything like that. And so I need them to learn about that from me before they learn about it the wrong way. But as far as this person's question in talking about that in teaching them what it is, is that giving them permission? I don't think it is because if you have now, I will say that my, my confliction or my confusion comes in, um, something Amy touched on in the interview of, you know, the church giving this abstinence only message. I expect the church to do that. I want the church to do that. Right. Um, and then I expect school to give them this very physical health, you know, predominantly based discussion as a parent at home. I want to be having all of those discussions across the board. Like I'm kind of 
bridging gaps, filling in gaps, talking about it all the time, like using the things instead of covering their eyes or shooing them out of a room if something sexual comes on TV, instead kind of using that as a conversation starter to be like, why do you think that character made that decision? Or what are some other options that could, you know, I mean, just kind of making this a very normal part of our home and teaching them to think about it in very holistic connecting ways, connecting church, connecting health, connecting home so that they can make really, really healthy decisions for themselves that are safe and godly. Yep. I think another thing that I've been thinking about trying to be more intentional about in our home is just showing healthy intimacy. Mm -hmm. Um, Not necessarily having sex on the couch in front of my kids, but (laughs) just, um, I've just been aware of us, you know, kind of doing the parenting and then doing the marriage and keeping those separate and um, kind of, you know, holding hands after kids are in bed because our hands are busy with the kids when they're awake Um, and just trying to do that better because I was just recently affected by a sex scene that I saw on TV the other night and talked to Mike about it. Like, I don't want to see stuff like this because I think it could definitely get in my head about all these images that we see. Um, and as a 40 year old woman, if that's complicated for me, um, I think it's just important for me to be aware of, all the things that our kids are exposed to and um, they're exposed to almost no healthy images of intimacy and sex Um, and so that's just one way that I want to try to start um, you know teaching through example of just being more intimate with Mike and everyday settings that's really good I've been really sensitive to what I've been watching for a couple of years now. I don't, I don't know what happened because I used to have a pretty low filter, but maybe it's just kind of a growing in the spirit type of thing. But like, I'm just, I'm really sensitive to all of that. And I think that that sensitivity can also work in a wrong way of making you sheepish about talking about sex. And the Bible is not sheepish (laughs) when it talks about sex. So I think it's always just kind of staying in tune and staying peripheral and keeping a good, healthy balance. Amen. Right on. I've never met anyone like Mary. Well, technically I've never met Mary. You see we're internet friends, but don't let that fool you. This internet connection runs deep. Mary is so many things all at the same time. With one sentence, she can make me laugh, cry, think, and deeply, deeply feel. There's just something about Mary. You'll see. Now that we know how to begin conversations with our kids about sex, let's turn the lens back around for a moment and talk about you and your partner. For some reason, I've had friends approach me on more than one occasion with the plaintive question, now that my kids are in high school and stay up later than I do, will I ever have sex again? Now we can draw all kinds of conclusions about why I in particular am approached with this question, but I'm going to assume it's because my husband and I have been married 26 years and our oldest and youngest are 12 years apart. It would be natural to assume that we have a few tricks up our sleeves. The fact is, I was staunchly in the pretend married people don't have sex and turn the fans on and try to stay up later than they do and for goodness sake, why does the mattress squeak camp for a long time. Then, a few years ago, I read a book by Izzy Paskowitz called Scratching the Horizon, A Surfing Life. Paskowitz is the founder of Surfers Healing, a group of professional world-class competitive surfers who donate their time to take kids with autism out surfing. 
Paskowitz's whole life has been fascinating, including a childhood spent traveling up and down coastlines, living in a van with his parents and eight siblings. He says his parents had sex every night, and in such close quarters, everyone could hear it. As he put it, lots of kids grow up hearing their parents argue or disrespect each other. What harm is there in hearing that his loved each other fiercely? That blew my mind. Our kids are going to hear about and even see sex constantly in books, movies, music, TV shows, jokes on the bus, even at high school dances. Why would we want to pretend that the one place it's supposed to be completely okay in a loving, committed, long-term relationship, that it doesn't actually exist at all? One morning a few years ago, one of my teens said to me a bit snarkily, I could hear you and dad last night. I responded, yes, we've been married for decades and we're still happy together. How do you think that happens? And simply went on sipping my coffee. Now, I'm not suggesting being loud on purpose, but I'm wondering if maybe mortification isn't entirely necessary here. Maybe it makes a lot more sense for our kids to understand that intimacy and commitment can and do coexist. Sweet dreams, sisters. Amazing sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me dear god we come to you needy most likely we have misused our own sexuality through sin, giving Satan an easy way in to oppress us in it. Free us, God. Bring our own sexuality under your lordship so that we can more effectively guide our children, point our children, demonstrate to our children a pure heart, mind, and soul. Help us to give our kids healthy, godly-centered sex education that is based on what you value. Our world has cheapened sex, but your view is wonderful and magnificent. Restore us, God. Protect our children, God. And shepherd us all. We love you. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. And for this episode, a special thank you to Amy Garcia, Kristen Kelly, Mary Bishop, Revival Living Interiors, Kristen DeVore with Beauty Counter, and Pamela Anthony Cutright and Chen Redfield for music. Send us your questions at sinnersaintsister at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at Allison M. Sully and Facebook at Allison M. Sullivan. 
Don't forget to like and review. For more of Mary's writing, go to madeforordinarytime.wordpress.com and be sure to catch the mini episode for extras.